18 podcast. This episode will be featuring Mr. Maserati of 98 Father Sports Hub, which has the number one afternoon sports talk show in New England, uh, Felger and Maz. And we are very grateful to have him on today and get some of his insights on the Celtics. Guys, thanks for having me. And please call me Tony. All right. Sounds good, Tony. Um, to start, start off with a pretty big question approaching for next season. So, do you think Brown will be on the team at the start of next season? So, I do. I think that uh, the Celtics early on, you know, had decided pretty much that they were going to build around Jalen uh, Brown and Jason Tatum as a tandem. And so, obviously, along the way, they've had uh, an opportunity or, or opportunities, plural, to trade uh, either one of those guys, most notably Jalen Brown, for any number of players along the way, whether we're talking about Anthony Davis or, uh, you know, Kawhi Leonard, Brown's name has popped up a million times and the, and the Celtics have always resisted. So I, it doesn't seem to make much sense to me to have resisted for all that period of time and then make a trade now. I mean, I rule out nothing because it is pro sports, but I think at the end of the day that uh, they are going to keep both of those players at least for, you know, at least for the start of the year. I don't think they're going to make a deal over the summer. Not with those two. Not with those two. Yeah. So if if you were Ainge, though, and you had the chance to get, like, Kawhi if you added Brown and a couple other pieces, would you have pulled the trigger on that? Well, so at the time, my answer is no. I I would not have pulled the trigger on that. I I liked where the Celtics were uh, at that point in time. And, you know, remember that they went through a stage here where they had Kyrie Irving and they had – uh, Gordon Hayward, Al Horford for a time, and so obviously he's back now. But I do think they were in pretty good shape back then to both make a run in the short term and then have pieces in place for the long term. So knowing what we know now, what I've done at the answer is yes. Um, but at the time, I, I like the spot that they were in. Yeah, yeah so we're on to the Jalen. Um, this will be a question later, but so he, James is like, confident that he'd trade Jalen for Dame in a heartbeat. Would you do that? For Damian Lillard? Yeah. So I would. I really like Damian Lillard, though. And I understand that um, uh, Jalen Brown is, you know, younger, uh, probably a a more complete player, more useful in today's NBA, uh, you know, because he's a wing, can play both ends of the floor. But the thing that worries me now is that even though Brown and Tatum are young, there's no guarantee that the Celtics are going to be able to keep them, uh, you know, really beyond the next couple of years. I think we've learned in the NBA that a lot of these young guys move on quickly. And so I just don't know that there is a way to build a long window in the NBA. It, it, it might not exist. So I'd be focused if I were the Celtics on trying to maximize the window with Tatum. I think Tatum is the better of the two players. Uh, I think Tatum is a, you know, is going to be, if he's not already a top 10, maybe even a top five player in the league. And so I, you know, I, I would go that route and then hope that Jason Tatum resigns and lures players here and you can build around him as a, as a centerpiece for multiple championship teams. But I, I think that's going to be a hard thing to pull. I, I agree with that. And I, I wanted to hold, I wanted to add on to that. Cause um, I remember a few days ago, you guys were talking about on Felger and Mass how, like Brown is not the most compatible fit with Tatum. And I completely agree with that because you have two kind of wing players 
when you have the chance to trade for. We're not sure what Brown's max is. We, I think we all know that Tatum is going to be a lot better than he is now when he's in his prime. But I don't think we know what Brown's prime is because of how much of a jump he took last season. So we don't know if that could, that could drop, that could stay the same, or he could go even higher. But I think that trading for Dame, who's a certified superstar point guard, especially if Brad is in this win-now mode and he wants to get Banner 18 soon, that I think it's the right move to make if it means giving up Brown. And that would mean we would have to give up less depth already that we have, like Rob Williams or Pritchard. We could save one of those two without having to trade them in a Brown deal. Yeah, so again, I, I, all of that makes sense. Um, I, you know, To me, the thing that I worry about is how long are you going to be able to keep these guys together anyway? And so that to me is a real worrisome thing now. And I just think you have to maximize uh, whatever time you have with Jason Tatum. I, I, I just, I think Tatum really is that good. So this is the second question we've written down. Um, Ime said the other day that Smart was one of his pillars. Do you think Smart will be on the team next season? So this is Owen, right? Yes. Yeah. So, Owen, I, I think that if the Celtics are to make a major trade, and, and again, I would say what they call major, you know, to me, major in the NBA is with a, a star, an all-star caliber player. Um, and, you know, obviously there aren't many of those. Right. So, you know, relatively speaking. So I think that uh, I wouldn't call it a major deal, but given how the Celtics have operated, given how long smart has been here, you know, it's a it's a significant deal. I, I, I don't want to call it meaningless. So uh, I think there is a chance they will trade smart. I do think it's less likely than maybe it might have been uh, a couple of weeks ago because it feels to me like Ime Udoka does like Marcus Smart. So I don't know, you know, what I don't know what they could get for him. I think that's something they'd have to weigh out. Um, but I, I do think that if they trade anybody that Mark, if they were to make any sort of significant trade, I think Marcus Smart almost has to be in the deal. And the other thing that's important uh, is that Marcus Smart's contract could be up at the end of next season if they don't sign him to an extension. So, you know, there's a signability issue there with Smart as well, that if it doesn't work, you may be forced to trade him. And I think that Smart's going to really want the extension because I think he's going to think that he deserves it. So if we don't give him that extension, we hold out, I think he's definitely going to leave because he's going to feel disrespected by the organization. Yeah, so that, that's it, it's a good point. It's a good point, James. And I, I think that my guess is that that is something they're going to have to talk about with him and his agent. In other words, they may say to him, look, we're, we're probably not going to resign you, uh, if that's how they feel. And, uh, and they say to him, but we're willing to, to trade you to a place that makes sense for you, and we're willing to sign you to the contract so you can get more money uh, for the new team. So, you know, there is a benefit there for, for Smart as well if he's willing to, you know, if he's willing to play ball with them. Um, I don't know that it's going to come to that, but I do think it's something that the Celtics have to seriously consider. Yeah, um, so this is kind of adding on to that. So would you trade Smart and Neesmith or Langford in a couple future first-round picks for not a superstar, but like a DeJounte Murray or DeJounte a point Murray, guard Ball. Yeah, yeah like, like a point guard of that caliber. Would you, would you trade Smart, Neesmith, or Langford in a couple future firsts for a point guard like that? So any uh, any one of those or all three of them? Uh, all three of them. Uh, so I do like Lonzo Ball. I have to admit, though, I, I like Neesmith 
because I liked what I saw from him in the final 15 games or so. And when I say what, what, I, what we saw, he can shoot. And so uh, of those guys you named, I think I'd be willing to move just about any one of them with the exception of Neesmith. I just think that there is a real um, talent there for Neesmith, particularly if he's with Tatum, who's going to draw double teams, going to draw a lot of attention. And, uh, you know, that's going to mean open shots for people. And you need guys who can knock those down if you're going to build that kind of team. So I just think that uh, Neesmith to me right now feels like the most valuable of those players that you're talking about. Um, but would I move Langford? Yes. Would I move Smart? Yes. I like Lonzo Ball. He's a facilitator. Uh, he's a pass-first player, which they don't have enough of. It's one of the things I like about the Al Horford deal is that Horford's a pass-first player. Robert Williams is a pass-first player. Uh, so I, I like the idea of, uh, of those kinds of players with Brown and Tatum because they're both score-first kind of guys. Yeah, that uh, we'll ask. We'll say the question later, but I think surrounding the Jays with shooters is a very good idea because I think I'd rather have them passing to guys who can shoot the ball than Grant Williams and Semi Ojale. I think it's so much better for them. <laughs> I think that yeah, I think uh, I think that there are a lot of people out there that would agree with you. Uh, okay, so the next one that we have is what's what's your ideal package for Damian Lillard that looks realistic. Well, so um, I think, you know, I don't think you have to give up much more than Jalen Brown. I mean, if, if that's what you're talking about now, if there's a way to get him without doing that, well, then, you know, I think you've got to talk about all kinds of first round draft picks. Um, you know, Neesmith, Robert Williams, your younger and cheaper talent would have to go in that sort of deal. So, you know. And honestly, I'm not even sure that that gets it done. I think if you're talking about a player like that, I think you have to include Jalen Brown. So, you know, I again, I don't think the Celtics will do it, but uh, it shouldn't really take much more than that because you're giving up a, a you know a young a younger player for a guy who's better right now. But but you know, Jalen Brown is an all star all star player. I mean, he's that kind of kid. So that's a, you know, to me, that's a pretty even deal. It's pretty close. I agree. And I would say that's kind of a hard question to answer right now because Dame has not officially requested a trade yet. And we're not sure if he will, but it seems like his management team is looking to move out of Portland. And, and, and the Dame, you know. No, I was just going to say like that, that eventually could have some major significance on what teams are going to offer. And that could definitely lower the offer. If, if he really does request an official trade. And and the Dame stuff, there's only a few select teams who could really give an offer. Like, I know a lot of people have Lakers jersey swaps out there, but I, I truly don't think that the Lakers have any assets outside LeBron and Anthony Davis that they could give the Trailblazers. I think there's only a few, like, handful of teams who could really make a run at Damian Lillard. Yeah, because I feel like you'd have to package in, like, a young star or, like, at least a star player and other assets like possibly future first round picks or younger players, younger role players. Even even like the Sixers, they don't have uh, um, their guy that they package is Ben Simmons, who obviously wasn't great recently, but he still has a tremendous upside that you could give to the Trailblazers and hope they could turn around. Yeah, that's right. I, and whenever I think, um, I think you guys are on it. You know, whenever you're talking about a player of that caliber. It's difficult for there. There aren't going to be many teams at the end of the day that can make the deal. It's just that those deals are hard to make. 
And so I, I think it gets tricky. And um, so, you know, now I, at the end of the day, I think, I think Lillard is going to stay in Portland. And I think the reason he's going to say is because I think they appeased him or pacified him with Chauncey Billups. It sounded like he wanted Chauncey Billups early on in the process. Um, you know, Billups ended up there. I think a lot of people thought he was going to end up there. You know, there was a chance he was going to be a candidate for this job. So I think that uh, Lillard's going to end up staying there, although I wouldn't rule out something at the deadline if things go bad in Portland. Yeah, I agree. Um, so if if we don't trade for Damian Lillard, could you see us trading for C.J. McCollum? And do you think that would be like a good a good trade, a good move to make, a good swap? So uh, I, I can see the Celtics trading for any good established player in the league, and McCollum qualifies. I wouldn't give up Jalen Brown for C.J. McCollum, but if some of the, some of the other uh, scenarios that you guys talked about, uh, you know, lesser pieces. I mean, if you were to bring in a guy like McCollum, and I think he and Lillard are about the same age, because my recollection is that they came into the league at similar times. So, uh, you know, I look at that scenario and I say, in that case, I, I might give up Neesmith because they would want a guy like that back. And so, you know, it gets, again, it gets a little... I think a deal like that would be a little bit easier. But if you're going to keep Lillard in Portland, then I think you're going to keep McCollum too. The, the point is you're going to build around a guy like that. So I don't know, you know, what other options there would be out there, but I, I do know that the Celtics have to upgrade their roster. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I think the main thing I've seen going around, uh, it's I, obviously everything could just be thrown around. I, I've seen one trade going around that's, the, it's CJ McCollum, Marcus Smart swap. And I wouldn't hate doing that. I think that'd be a great move for the Celtics to make. Because that also helps the Trailblazers too, because it puts defense with Damian Lillard. CJ McCollum isn't a great defender. No, not at all. And in fact, you know, I just don't know that the Celtics are giving up enough in that scenario. Uh, so that there would probably have to be something else in the deal. And I don't know what the salary cap ramifications are, things like that. Um, but it feels to me like the Celtics wouldn't be giving up enough in that scenario. So, you know, again, I, I think, you know, Stevens has got a challenge in front of him because in a lot of ways their needs are clear that they're, they're not, you know, it's not a great roster. Their centerpiece players are good. Tatum in particular um, is exceptional, which I, you know, again, I think we all know, uh, but I do, you know, I do worry about the fact that they don't have any other real ways to get, um, key, you know, key centerpiece type guys. They don't have high draft picks. They don't have super talented young guys that everybody is drooling over. You know, we like Neesmith and we like Robert Williams, but I don't know that those guys alone are enough to get you what Jalen Brown would get in a trade. And, if, and then if you're trading Jalen Brown, you're sort of starting over again, right? So, I, you know, it, it's a tough spot for Stevens. He's, it's a, he inherited a tough job. They don't have a lot of assets at the moment in terms of, again, real young, valuable players uh, or draft picks or things like that. And so there's a, you know, there's a, a bit of a hole to dig out of. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah I agree with that. Um, so kind of, this is kind of adding on to that because this is less of a, this is a lesser player than McCollum, but what, what are your thoughts on acquiring more of a role player via trade or signing, such as, like, Tim Hardaway Jr., Nick Batum, Kelly Oubre. Even, even like, Avery Bradley, J.J. Redick, guys like that could be thrown in. 
Oh, I think all those types of moves are absolutely in play. And again, they have the Celtics have limited options in terms of what they're going to be able to do um, on the free agent market. So, you know, they don't have, it's not like they can go out and sign a max player. So they have limitations there, but I, I do think you're going to see them make some moves. And I happen to think there is a trade coming. I just don't know what it is. So, you know, I, I, it's hard to predict. Um, but, you know, when you look at it, ever since they got Horford for Kemba Walker, they have a lot of big guys now. There's Tristan Thompson. There's Robert Williams. There's Al Horford. Uh, who am I leaving out? There's someone else I'm leaving out. And Moses so, Brown. Brown? Yes, correct. Moses Brown. So you're talking about, you know, four different guys there uh, that, that there's no way they're going to have enough minutes for all those guys. Now, I don't think they're going to trade Horford. I wouldn't rule it out. I mean, anything can happen. But it feels to me like Tristan Thompson is probably on the way out of town. I wouldn't be surprised if we traded basically anyone except Tatum at this point because I think it was really interesting how I don't think he was even a week into the job. Stevens trades his quote-unquote star point guard, Kemba Walker, for Al Horford, Moses and, Brown, and he trades our pick with it too. Like that, that really surprised me how so, like he, he he's hold on, he's new to the job and he's just trading like supposedly one of the best players on the team, even though we so, all know. From that. Two things. Two things that I knew before this trade happened was the first one is that there was a report that Stevens found first round picks like invaluable, that he didn't want them, which is completely the opposite of Danny Ainge. And the second one is that what he said. I don't know if he, he the uh, first one could have been made up. The second one that he said was, and he said this in his introductory press conference, there were some moves he would have made and some moves he wouldn't have made. And I find it kind of funny that the first move he makes is trading Kemba for Al Horford. Yeah, so look, I, I think a guy like Stevens as a coach really appreciated Horford. Um, you know, Horford is a, is a great – Horford's like a coach on the floor. So you can understand how, uh, how a guy like Stevens would feel about Horford. And again, they needed a what, – what I always call a pass-first player. Like, they, they needed that kind of guy. So I think it, you know, it made sense to um, – you know, to bring in a guy like Horford. The, the real reason they made that trade, though, is that Kemba's deteriorating, and they do get some financial flexibility out of it. Uh, they will be in the market potentially for a max player on the free agent market, you know, next next summer. Um, Bradley Beal could be out there by then, and, and again, maybe that's a way to appease Jason Tatum, keep him happy, so that, uh, you know, they can go out and get a guy like Bradley Beal and Adam to Tatum and Brown, and now you know, now you're in pretty good shape and maybe you make a little run at it and you're able to re-sign Tatum as a result. So I, and when I say re-sign, Tatum's got a little ways to go on his deal, but I do think that it's going to be really important to prove to him that they can win and build a championship team around him while he is in Boston on this contract because that's their only chance they have to keep him going forward. Yeah, obviously, and and one of the upsides because I've been seeing every like Twitter is going when this first uh, trade happened. The first thing I see all over Twitter is Celtics got robbed, Stevens got robbed. I don't think people looked at it that like I think everyone but Celtics fans are like, oh my god, they just got robbed, and we're looking at it like we just cleared so much money, and we have money. We have uh, a max slot the year that Jason Tatum's childhood friend is a free agent, so. I I consider that a, a win. I don't I don't think that was a loss in any way. So I feel the same way. And honestly, I'm not I'm not much of a Kemba fan. 
Um, I, you know, when I, I, I didn't, you know, I always thought Kemba was a little overrated anyway. Uh, but beyond that, but because of his health and the mileage on him, he's deteriorating. And I don't think he fits all that great with Tatum and Brown. I think they're all similar players that score first. And it didn't work. And so acquiring Kemba in the first place was a mistake. Now, again, they, you know, they use the salary spot. So the, it's a, the cap decisions are sort of different arguments. But I do think that Horford works better with what they have. And I don't think that Horford is necessarily a better player than Kemba at this stage of his career. But I think that he helps him on both ends of the floor more than Kemba does or would have. And, uh, and again, the, the real reason they did it was the, the money, the cap flexibility. And there, there's just no, there's no substitute for that. It's too valuable a thing uh, in that league to just, you know, to just push it aside and, and, uh, and not consider it. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a, it was the factor, the reason they made the deal. Yeah, and I would say uh, I think there's also some value in the locker and presence that Alford brings because I feel like although that 18-19 team seemed to be have a lot of locker room issues, I think Horford was the bright side in that. And when he was probably the best player on that 17-18 team that lost in seven to LeBron, I think he's I think he's the reason that even without Kyrie or Hayward, they were able to go that far. Playoff out. Yeah, and, and again, the the thing about Horford's a really smart player. He's experienced. He understands who's supposed to be where and when. Uh, he, you know, he's a team player. So Horford is, you know, you look at his numbers and you say Horford's not the most spectacular guy in the world. He's not the flashiest guy in the world. But most of the teams he's been on have won. Now they haven't won championships, but the point is they they've played together. Uh, they played professionally. And look, let's face it, guys, you both know we, the Celtics were missing that this year. They didn't play together. They didn't pull for each other. Defensively, they were a train wreck. Uh, and so I think Horford is the kind of guy that can lead them on the floor. Again, he's like a coach on the floor, and they need that kind of guy. Yeah, and yes. I like how I like how hold on I like how Udoka I don't know if I pronounced it right uh, mentioned that in his first press conference was he, he he immediately said he addressed the fact that we were 27th in assists last year and then he completely wants to fix that but to counter that I listened to the show a couple of days ago and I know you guys were talking about how every coach would every new coach would immediately address the problems because like you're, you're the new guy and you're there to fix those problems but I, I still think that I still think that he's actually going to make a pretty big change in that and he might be able to change the way yeah. they play basketball and, and another thing to note from Ime is um, – what was I going to say? Oh, last year's offense, the Brad offense. I, I immediately – a few months ago, I like – I turned down this idea that they tuned out Brad. I don't think they completely tuned him out, but I, I think they just didn't care anymore. But that Celtics offense last year was Jason Iso uh, complains for a foul, doesn't get back on defense. Next side, Jalen Iso, same thing doesn't get back on defense. It was the same thing every time. And now what I'm loving from Ime, we're probably going to get team basketball, and there's no more uh, shot-chucking smart, which I'm so excited for. <laughs> so, so, again, I hope that that's what comes out of it. Uh, you know, I think, what, I think we all know what, the, you know, what, what Udoka needs to do. Um, but what I, you know, what I don't know is what he's like behind closed doors, how it's going to look on the floor. Uh, and I think the reason they brought him in is the hope that he would be able to connect with 
uh, you know, mostly, firstly, Jason Tatum and get him to continue to develop and, and lead I, that maybe he can teach Jason Tatum how to lead. Uh, and I'm not blaming Tatum for not being a leader. I just think that he's a kid and uh, you know, some people have it and some people don't, and some people have to learn it. So, you know, I think that that's task number one. And then I think making clear to Marcus smart, what his role is, is another one. And uh, in fact, that might be the first thing and easiest thing to address because it involves just dealing with smart and asking him, you know, what kind of player do you think you are? What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? And what can you give us that nobody else can? And that's how teams work. So the Tatum thing's going to take longer. It's not an overnight fix. I think the smart part of it, the Marcus smart part of it is, uh, you know, is a little easier to address in the short term. Um, you know, the Tatum thing's going to take a while, but look, that's why Udoka's here. He is here to, to make these guys better players. Stevens is there to improve the roster. And, uh, you know, there's still the possibility of that with Marcus Smart. But, you know, there, there's lots of different ways that they could address those problems. And I think that, um, you know, we'll see what the roster looks like in the next month as we get into free agency and pass the draft and all that stuff. Uh, but when the season starts, I think we know that in all probability, Tatum and Brown at the very least are going to be here. So, so for the rest of the roster, so like free agent wise, what are your thoughts with Evan Fournier? How do you think that's going to break down this off season? Well, so, you know, to me, it's at what cost, and I don't just mean in terms of money. I mean, if you sign Fournier, what type of flexibility does it take away from you? And so if it affects their ability to go out on the market next year, then I'm not doing it. If they can somehow get a deal for Fournier, maybe it's a one-year deal. Uh, maybe they trade someone else to preserve their flexibility for next summer and keep Fournier. And, and look, one of the things I like about him as well, and I say he's not a guy that needs the ball in his hands all the time. Um, I think he's an efficient offensive player. And again, I think they need more of those. So if you tell me they have Horford or Robert Williams on the floor at center and Fournier is one of the other four guys along with Brown and Tatum, I, I like the feel of that setup. But to me, the, the question with Fournier is all, you know, what's it going to take to keep him, and for how long? And uh, so th that should be a pretty easy answer because if it's anything long-term that requires big dollars, then the answer is no, I don't, I don't keep him. Yeah, I agree with that, especially because of like what we were just talking about, how we're going to have a lot of cap space and we're going to have that extra slot for the Supermax for next year. I would definitely say it's not worth it for like for a couple of years with Fournier when we have the chance to wait one more year and then sign a big name. And speaking of big names, would you I have a question. So would you rather bring in another star or superstar to like surround Bradley Beal. Like yeah, like Bradley Beal to surround the Jays or would you, to uh, or would you rather surround the Jays with shooters and role players that can contribute at a high level? So I think you still need one All-Star caliber player in there. I, you know, again, Jason Tatum to me is a is an otherworldly talent. I I think he's the game that he played against the Nets in Game Three of that playoff series. Uh, I think should have opened everybody's eyes because he's playing against the best players in the world, specifically the best player in the world and Kevin Durant and put 50 points up there. It was making all kinds of shots. And those guys just don't, you know, those guys just don't uh, show up on your doorstep every year. So, you know, I would, 
Brown to me is a little different. He's not as naturally gifted as Tatum. He's had to learn the game uh, and learn some of the some of the skills. And I know he's improved a great deal. I, I in fact, he's a better player already than I thought he was going to be. But uh, but I do think he's a little more erratic on the offensive end than Tatum is. And so I think there are nights where you can still see that it's a little mechanical with Jalen Brown. So the idea of having a natural scorer out there with Tatum uh, appeals to me. And, and again, this is why I like Lillard. Or no, I'd rather have Lillard over Bradley Beal. I know Beal can put up uh, some big numbers. I think Lillard's a more complete player. But, you know, the 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 idea of just Tatum, Brown, and a bunch of role players, to me, that's not good enough. And not to win a championship. So they're going to have to, the, the court, you can always find role players. You can't find centerpiece guys. Yeah, and I, I agree with that because I feel like maybe like 10 or, or ten or so years ago, that could have worked where like the 07, 08 Celtics, you really had Pierce Garnett and then you had Allen Rondo and a lot of other high, very high high contribution role players. Uh, but now in this like a super team driven league, you could say, I think it's uh, it's very important to have build your core of stars or superstars and then focus on the bench like the Lakers did last year. The Lakers didn't have the strongest bench last year, but they had LeBron and AD. AD was playing like a top five player, so they were able to take that. And 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 also onto that, I think the Celtics championship really they won't get this big shot unless unless the Jays just go out of their mind next year. I don't think they'll get realistically a real shot of the championship for like two to three more years or unless this Nets team just breaks down at one point. Because this Nets team, they broke down, obviously, this year. I think the Celtics, like, any if they were any other seed but seven or eight, I think they would have had a better shot at the title this year than last year. But I think yeah, but the th- time, there was no, there was no way we were going to get anywhere near the title this year, especially with Brown out in the playoffs. Yeah, obviously. I think fully healthy, we're higher than the seventh seed. But at the same time, I, I think it's going to take more than, like, just next year to be a full title contender. And I think Jason and Jalen have to realize, like, we have to spend more time because we're not there yet. We'll be there soon, but we'll, we're not there yet. We still have time. Well, so, look, I, I agree with that part of it, Owen. The, the problem is, are they going to be patient, right? We just don't know if they're going to be patient. So Jalen Brown has, I think, three, year less, three years left on his deal, and Tatum has four. I think Tatum's deal actually starts this year. I'd have to double-check that, but I remember thinking – that it started last year. And, and I think I was wrong about that. So I think he's got four years, but the problem is if you're two years into it and let's say the second year is a bad year, like, it, like it was a year, like the one they just had. Well then Tatum may be talking to his agent and say, you know what? I'm, I'm not staying here. I want out now. And uh, so, you know, we can say that the timeline puts him three or four years down the road, but the Celtics might not have that long to wait. So I think they need to try to be a little bit more aggressive. Um, I don't think it's a one-year thing. I don't, I don't think that uh, with Udoka here now, if they have a, a disappointing season that uh, Tatum and Brown will say, get me out of here. I think they'll give it a little more time than that. The coaching change, I think, buys them a little more time. But after two years, and I'm just thinking out loud here, but after two years, if they haven't made a significant jump, or added someone to the roster that completely changes the outlook of the team, then I think that those two guys could say, all right, where the heck is this going? And if it's not leading to where I want it to leave, then uh, lead, 
then I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna explore the idea of leaving and going somewhere else. And that, you know, the players, the star players in the NBA have a lot of power, and LeBron has sort of uh, established that and changed the way the league operates because the the talent has the leverage. So, uh, you know, as much as I'm sorry, LeBron and Anthony Davis had role players around them. You're also talking about one of the three best players in the history of the game in LeBron, maybe the best player in the history of the game, according to some people. Anthony Davis is also a top five player. So you don't have three of the top 25 in the league, but you have two of the top five and one's a big man, which really allows you to dominate the paint. And so, you know, I, I think it worked for the Lakers to have basically two uh, but the Celtics are going to need more than that at this stage. And how they get it, I don't know. I don't know. And that's what makes this whole thing so interesting. It's going to be a fascinating summer. Yeah, and I agree with that part about, like, long-term, in a couple of years, if this all doesn't work out in the star-driven league, it's going to be interesting to see how Steven handles it because he's going to have to look at it from the Jays' perspective if Jalen's still on the team and definitely Jason. And he's going to have to think about – how if he has to blow it up or not or but I, the thing is I think long term I feel like Jason Tatum will be more of like in terms of career he'll be more like Kobe Bryant he'll be loyal and this sounds this sounds biased but I feel he could be loyal to the Celtics all of his career because in like the interviews he's done it really sounds like he wants to win us a couple banners and be like higher than Paul Pierce when you think of uh, all-time Celtics but uh, we'll see. It's, it's going to be very interesting to see what Brad Stevens will do if this team doesn't really go anywhere. And it'll be interesting to see if we, if for the long term, we just build only around Tatum year after year or if we really just blow it up. Yeah, so, Owen, I hope you're right. I mean, I, I think every Bostonian, uh, you know, wants Tatum to stay. They got, uh, they got the base, basically got him as the number one pick in the draft, even though he was number three. Uh, you know, that, that's the guy they were targeting. That's the guy they wanted. Um, and so, you know, I think we all know, you know, those, again, those players don't, don't just land on your front doorstep all the time. The, you know, it's hard to get that kind of talented player in the draft. And so hopefully he does want to stay in one place, but I, I also think we're in an era that guys don't stay in one place anymore. Very few of them do. And, um, you know, and, and, you know, Tatum is going to have a decision to make here in the next few years. So I look at it this way. The Celtics have to convince him to stay. That's what they have to do. That's the challenge. They have to convince Jason Tatum to stay. And they have to do that by putting pieces around him that, that lead him to believe that Boston is the best place for him to play basketball. And uh, it might not be the best place for him to be a corporation or to sell sneakers. He can do New York. He can do L.A., Miami, and, and be more successful at that. But if they put a championship-caliber team around him, and he can start to win multiple rings, uh, then you know, then he'll be fine. Okay, so uh, we have a few unrelated uh, to the Celtics questions. So obviously, you've done lives and you've gone live with um, the Spiking on Instagram, and you know he's a big Jarrett Stidham guy. I I'd say I like Stidham. I I don't think I'm not as crazy as he is and think that he's the next Tom Brady. I'd just like to see him succeed. I don't think he'll get anywhere though. But what do you think on the Patriots quarterback situation? So I think that uh, the odds are significantly in favor of Cam Newton, Cam Newton starting the year a quarterback. Uh, after that, I think that 
the great likelihood is that a Mac Jones is going to take over. So I know Spike, I call him Spike. I know Spike likes Stidham, but they would not have gone out and drafted Mac Jones if they thought Jared Stidham was their next starter in the NFL. They would have used the pick on something else. So I, I just think the, you know, the writing's on the wall for Stidham. Anything can happen. You never know if he has a great camp sort of developed un, unexpectedly. Uh, he could absolutely, you know, he could absolutely thrust himself into the conversation. But at this stage, I think it's a long shot. And I also agree with, like, the Cam Newton point. But I think it's either for Cam Newton, it's either start or get cut. Because I feel like he's such a high-profile player when it comes to, like, his, his playing time that – He's like it might just be worth, more worth it to cut him if we're not going to start him, like even before the season. If we know that Mac Jones is going to be a starter week one, which I won't, I don't think he will be because he was the fifteenth pick and he has to adjust the system. But if if Bill really likes Mac Jones that much from camp, I think it might be worth it to just cut Newton from the start. So I think that's the likelihood too. My guess is that there's probably some sort of agreement or understanding between Newton and the Patriots. That if he is not the starter, uh, he will have the option to leave the team or that they will release him or what have you. Again, I, I don't know what the specific language of that deal might be. But I, I do think that there's an understanding that if Cam, Newton, Cam Newton's not starting, then uh, they're going to give him a chance to play somewhere else. Yeah, um, so another unrelated to the Celtics. What are you? I know you do a lot of baseball. You have the baseball show. What are on like when the sale is gonna like do you think there's a certain time frame when sale will come back and like what they're doing to prepare him and do you think that he might come into more of an Andrew Andrew Miller role where he'll be pitching a few innings out of the bullpen and, and like giving you a few good innings out of the bullpen or would you think he'll fully go back into the starter role? Well, so I think just in the last day or so we've gotten a much much better idea as to what the Red Sox plan is in terms of when he'll be back. And, uh, and I think if you, you know, if you map it out, my guess is it, it's going to come out around August 1st. So he's about a month away based on what they told us yesterday. Uh, I, there's always a chance it could be sooner. The other thing that I always uh, consider, and, you know, you got to be cautious with guys coming back from this surgery because oftentimes they have setbacks. So now's the stage where they're going to start to really ramp up his activity and he's going to throw harder. He's going to throw more pitches. And if his arm doesn't respond properly to that, uh, they're going to shut him down and then they'll back him up and the whole thing's probably over for the year. So we, you know, we're sort of at a critical stage of it at the moment. Um, but I think if it all goes well, that I think you'll see him at the end of July or beginning of August. So, I, you know, again, I call it August 1st. Uh, it's just an easy date to pick, but somewhere in that area. In terms of how they're going to use him, I'm not, you know, I'm not really sure. At one point, I thought the greater likelihood, and I, I suppose I, I still think that there's a chance that they'll use him out of the bullpen or that, uh, and when I say that, I mean pitch him kind of like they pitch Garrett Whitlock right now, which is he pitches a couple of times a week. He goes maybe two or three innings at a time, and the workload on him is not too great, and he gets plenty of rest between outings. And I could see them doing something similar with Sale. I could also see it being a starter's role and him just going four innings. So, you know, I, I don't think you're going to see Sale go in seven innings. I, I'd be surprised if it got to that. But 
Uh, I think his, you know, they're going to probably at max keep him around 75, 80 pitches if it gets to that and take what they can get out of him. And look, as they're showing with their current rotation, that might be enough. So they're in it. They have the second best record in baseball. They've just had a home stand or they won seven in a row. They won them all. And, um, you know, I think they're they're now in it. We have to watch how High and Bloom operates at the deadline. Uh, but I do think they have to approach that deadline as if Sale is not coming back. Because, again, I, I think there's a pretty decent chance here that, that his arm gets sore when he starts throwing. It happens to a lot of guys who rehab. And, uh, you know, if they don't, if that doesn't happen and he can pitch, honestly, I think they got a little lucky. Yeah, I think that, like, after Tommy John, which is such a crucial surgery to the arm, I think that it'll be interesting to see how he how he's able to come back and, like, what role he's able to adapt to. And our final question before we let you go here is, uh, so we obviously have our podcast. So we're wondering, what advice would you give to an upcoming sports writer <laughs> or sportscaster? Okay, so I would say um, to just keep doing what you're doing. And so uh, get as much experience you can doing as many different things as you can. And uh, which is basically, you know, when I, what I did when I was your age. And the one thing I'll tell you is that, uh, you know, I'm lucky to, to do what I do for a living. I think Mike Felger would tell you the same thing, as would Jim Murray and really anybody at the station. We all love what we do. Um, and, you know, whether it's uh, doing a podcast or writing or covering sports or whatever it is, I, this part of it, I don't think really matters. Um, you know, whatever your passion is, if you are able to find, uh, find work in it and build a, you know, build a career in it and make it your profession, it just doesn't feel like you're going to work every day. It just feels like you're going to do something you really like. And, uh, and that can make a, a lot of difference in terms of your willingness to work at it, uh, you know, your chances of success. And, you know, even, even uh, without, you know, saying success, your chances of being happy. So that, you know, that matters a lot too. And, um, and so, I, you know, I would say just keep at it. And the, the, one, the one piece of advice I always try to give younger people is, uh, and I had to teach myself this too, is to be patient. It takes a while. So it doesn't just happen overnight. You don't go from college, in most cases, to working for ESPN. It just doesn't happen that way. And uh, it takes a little while. But if you put your time in and keep at it, and again, if you love what you do, then I do think uh, that opportunities present themselves and, uh, you know, and you end up being somewhere where you belong. Yeah, I feel like that ultimate goal is to, like you said, to go to work and like not feel like you're at work, but you're just doing something that you love. Um, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate picking out your brain. Thank you. And hearing yeah, this you have is to awesome. say. Oh, and... guys, listen, you're very welcome. All right. I, I'm, I'm glad we were finally able to do this. So uh, happy to do it. And best of luck to you with the podcast. Right. Thank you thank so you. much. Sir. Okay, guys, we'll see you later. Bye bye. We'll see you later.